RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Time to welcome back Tim Malone, travel specialist to Reality Check Radio. You might remember a month or so ago, we had a chat with Tim about what was hot in the reviving travel industry post-COVID. He's back to talk about that and more. Tim, welcome back to RCR. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for calling me. Okay, let's talk about the thing that's been in the news first before we get on to other sort of the broader travel scene. And I'm reading from a headline here, stuff, you know, there are multiple stories, but I've, I've sort of randomly drawn this one. Totally unacceptable airlines and Auckland Airport in backlog battle. Now, I was at Auckland Airport on one of those nights recently where it went crazy. I was in the domestic area. That was nuts because winds further south were causing flight delays, a lot of people. Little did I know that only, you know, 900 metres the other way, 15,000 people were log jammed, um, and some of them have been there for hours. I think people were even kept on um, on one of the uh, airliners for two, nearly three hours because they just couldn't let them off. There wasn't the capacity. Now, I'm sure we'd agree they've been doing this a long time at Auckland Airport. So how could we explain this log jam, this, this inability to process people um, in what you would say is a normal operation? I think partly it's a result of rapid growth where international travel went down to virtually nothing. During that time, the airport wasn't upgraded. There wasn't any construction happening. That all seems to be happening now, just at the time when travel and numbers are peaking. There's a lot of additional flights being put on now as well, and Auckland International Airport don't seem to be saying no to any of those. They're quite happy to grow more flights. Okay. Uh, Delta Airlines, for example, are just one example that are be starting flights to New Zealand, daily flights between Auckland and Los Angeles at the end of the month. So right. that's another 300 people every every single evening arriving yeah. and departing. Okay, so, but they, again, they would have been in possession of, of this knowledge. They knew that there would be a bounce back. Probably couldn't tell you exactly to the month when, maybe, I, I get that. Yeah. But there seems to be... Um, one thing that comes up in the sort of the excuses um, that there is a lack of staff. So how could how could that be? Well, that is true. There's there's certainly a lack of staff in the aviation security part of it. That's where the X-ray machines and where they check your hand baggage, et cetera. When you're departing from New Zealand, the smart gate is the first thing you come up to. Um, and there's usually a queue, there can be a queue of a couple of thousand people waiting to go through the smart gate, but it's generally caused by the bottleneck being the X-ray machines. And they do have staffing issues. From what I can gather, aviation security are, are training people all the time. Um, but there's a significant number of recruits who, although they're pre-warned about the hours and the shifts, when it comes down to it after they've done their, their month's training, they're three or four months training, they they go on the roster, which includes weekends and after hours, and a number of them leave after a relatively short time. Oh, so they don't, they don't quite like the job so much once they get doing it. Well, they're probably okay with the job and wearing the uniform and what it does, but what, what I'm hearing is they don't like the hours. You know, they haven't really researched properly how that might have an effect on their family life, their weekend life, their public holiday life. And so staff churn in that area is definitely a problem. Okay, but again, you'd be you'd think you'd be aware of that. You know that this is a 24-7 machine that never stops, right? Yeah. 
You you would think so. They have they have six lanes uh, there at the X-ray machines, and they've partially Im- they're up ticking themselves. They have partially introduced three D three uh, D imaging, and so the, what that means is that the X-ray op- X-ray operator can manipulate their view of the bag from all sides, from up or yeah. down. Yeah. giving them a much clearer view, et cetera. So the benefit of that is less trays going through. Um, ultimately, it's supposed to be quicker, but they've only got half of that done at the moment. I don't know why. Yeah, is that even necessary? It seems to me with the older technology, nothing slipped through. There have been no incidents. The only you know, uh, incident close to a hijacking in New Zealand was on a little piddly provincial airliner. It I recall- seems that this, yeah, this system, and it's like the... Um, Endless construction. Really? If you're going to keep building stuff at airports, you're always going to create delays. They don't seem to be able to ever stop, take a breath, and just let things be for a while. It is a growing industry, and it's certainly true that um, that construction is everywhere at Auckland Airport at the moment. Uh, the Air New Zealand Koru and Gold member check-in area, that's been closed for a few months. That's not due to open until November. So those sort of things, you know, when you see construction everywhere where you can't check in where you normally would, it affects the way you feel about the whole experience, let alone when you get upstairs and you you encounter queues you know, they're the Disneyland-type queues where, you know, yeah. you're in S-bends with barriers and, and you can't always tell how long the queue's going to be until you've been standing there for an hour and you think, well, crikey, you know, it's taking a bit longer than I thought. Yeah, so the first time I left New Zealand overseas was on a Continental Airline 747-100. I looked it up because um, I used to have a, a book with all the registrations in, and I think it was the 130th 747 ever built. There you go. And that would have probably travelled at about the same speed as an Airbus A380. No no difference. Finally enough. No difference. And incredible leg room and and lovely meals. That was just, you know, it was the economy thing. Three windows on the upper deck. That's how old it was. Not It was one of the originals via Hawaii. That was all good. But that was the most pleasurable travel experience. There were no delays anywhere. There was no ominous security presence. It was just so laid back. Boy, I wish that would come back. Those were the days when people got dressed up a little bit to go on yeah, a plane as well. Even I might have. <laughs> you may well have. Um, yeah, these days, tra- I mean, I grew up in a in a street in uh, Henderson, where Henderson, Auckland, where if anybody in my class had gone to Australia on holiday, and they'd brought us all back, a, or they'd brought me back a, a wooden ruler with some kangaroos inserted into the middle or something, um, <laughs> you know, as a as a souvenir, I thought that they were so special. But these days, I'm pretty sure that you know, it seems like half the class probably goes on an international holiday. Yeah, it's holiday. so common. Yes, so what you're saying, the volumes are, are way more than they used, used to be, volumes of people. Absolutely huge, yeah. And that's a reflection that, you know, for a time, and it is coming back now, actually, travel has become so much more affordable. I mean, the things that are unaffordable is a house. The thing that's easily affordable is a trip to the Gold Coast or Fiji or even Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. Though part of that ticket you you pay is to cover security and all of that. You, If you're paying money, you expect to get a reasonable service. That's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. A typical trans-Tasman ticket will include around about $250 per person of taxes. So let's say... Let's say a return fare to Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane is $700. That's pretty normal today. The airline yeah. gets $450. 
there are another $250 included in that total of 700 of taxes. When you look at your airline ticket, whether you've bought it from your New Zealand or whatever, you can split that out and you can see what the taxes are. And if you know the codes, then you know how much is going to aviation security, how much is going to immigration, how much is for the Sydney second runway or whatever it happens to be. So they're well paid for on a per-passenger basis to operate the airport, yeah. Are they a bit like Dad's Army, you know, um, well-meaning and sort of like traffic cops, you know, didn't quite make the police great. I'm not trying to be nasty, but, you know, yeah. not hyper-efficient, a little bit sort of stodgy in the attitude, not quite sort of attuned to real customer, forward-facing customer stuff. I mean, there is mm. a mention in there that uh, one of the um, the supervisors saying, well, you know, Kiwis are friendly and some staff will engage with the traveller and tell them good places to go and all that. Yeah, that takes too long. I'm sorry, you can't do that. It takes too long. Having a chat's nice, but... You know, if it's cumulatively going to delay people hours, it it, it ain't going to fly, right? Mm. They have a serious job to do. And and I know what you mean about fraternising with passengers and, you know, answering their questions, et cetera. But the reality is that when a, when a flight is, I mean, here's a, here's a typical situation. It seems to be happening at, at Auckland Airport regularly. You'll check in, you go through, you're on the other side, your flight gets cancelled. Completely cancelled, not going till the next day. Mm. So you've got to go back to the baggage carousel, have your bags taken off. Those are times, and go through customs and immigration again. Those seem to be the times when airline staff themselves uh, have disappeared. They're not around to help. Yeah, so, I mean, I've witnessed um, customers on a number of occasions asking the aviation security people, the customs and immigration people, where do I get a wheelchair is there somebody here to help me with my bags? Because that's what I had when I was departing. And, of course, that's not their job. Their job no. isn't to provide a wheelchair that you paid the airline for or the airline booked you. So I think that, you know, I've never struck aviation security or immigration people that didn't seem to care about me. But they can't, they're not the ones that can do the job. You know, I mean, they, they can, can be nice. They can, they can be nice part. and polite, but you don't have to have a big you know, engagement with people, you know, that's folks, right. at a folksy level. Yeah. If yeah. that's what they're talking about. Many well, people think- will will comment to you about the situation in Los Angeles where they feel like they're herded around like a bunch yeah, of Yeah, I know that one. I know that one. Yeah. In Auckland, we don't have that, thankfully. Okay. And also sickness has been mentioned. Historically, in your experience, has sickness in that sort of workforce ever been a factor on mass to be causing staff, um, you know, thinning out thinning out the staff to the point where we get these backlogs and the a lack of capacity because yeah. everyone's going to be thinking now. Why is that? If that's a problem, yeah, I can't comment on that because yeah. I, I don't know whether they whether they have a lot of sickness or not. It wouldn't surprise me. I know. I mean, we all come across more sickness these days than we used to. I, yeah. I don't think that's that. something that we can deny. Okay. But I, I couldn't point the finger at anything at the airport. That I'm just thinking safe and effective. Anyway, that's another story. All right, on to the bigger travel picture. Um, a thing that, that's come up in our chats with our Australian uh, correspondent has been, and you might have a view on this, um, the uh, blocking of Qatar Airlines in Australia. for They want 28, I think, direct uh, incomings. They've been blocked. Um, there are excuses at political level being made, maybe a diplomatic issue with 
uh, with Qatar. Uh, but um, many people in the in the business are saying Qantas, Alan Joyce, Qantas have been blocking them. So, what what, what does the industry say about that? I think it's relatively common knowledge that Alan Joyce will have to answer those questions. And he knows the answer to those questions. And Qatar Airways are well aware that that's really where the block has occurred. Yeah. So they're protecting their their backside, really, Qantas, uh, because Qatar is very competitive, right? Yes, they are. Well, Qantas and Qatar work together. They call what they do the kangaroo route. Right. So even though Qantas is a one-world airline and Emirates isn't, on the kangaroo route, they work together. So Australia, New Zealand, through Dubai, onto Europe, code shares, uh, frequent flyer merging, all of that, Qantas and Emirates are together. So there certainly would have been um, some pressure from Emirates to say to Qantas, well, if you've got pull with your local government, use it. And I don't think that's that's speaking out of turn. I think that's relative. That's been widely reported that way. Yeah. So it's more competitive. The influence there is Emirates in that case. I believe so. Because they're the bigger, they're they're dogfighting with uh, Qatar all the time, I take it. On a worldwide basis, Emirates and Qatar compete. I mean, they're both from the Middle East. They're both, uh, you know, from New Zealand. They're both about a 17-hour flight to take you two-thirds of the way to Europe. And then you've got a six-hour flight from either Doha or Dubai on to London, Paris, whatever. Um, yeah, they compete head-on worldwide. I, I, I personally think that in this case, Emirates aren't the ones who want to stick their hand up and and be seen to be trying to block a competitor. But Qantas, yep. Alan Joyce wouldn't care. Well, he's just gone, so it's, it's yeah. you know, it, it, no responsibility for that anymore, I guess. He's been yeah, called it, to answer, yep. though. Oh, yeah, right, you still are too, yeah. Good luck yeah. with that. And Qatar here, I think they were coming in via Australian cities where they may be, uh, was it Adelaide or Melbourne, one of the two, or maybe both. There used to be a direct flight. What's happened to that? It's coming back. So, in fact, it's already started. It's now nonstop. Over the last three years, Qatar reverted from from flying uh, via Adelaide. So the routing was Auckland, Adelaide, Doha, right. running on to Europe. And they were doing that with a triple seven, which couldn't which couldn't make the distance. But now they're back to an Airbus A three eighty, and that's gonna that's flying daily, nonstop Auckland to Doha, in right. exactly the same way as Emirates do. The old A three eighty, eh? Not dead yet. People said it was all over, but uh, not quite. It's time yet. It seems. Well, you know the, that seven four seven one hundred that you were talking about. F- we all flew when we when we flew on those. We felt like we were traveling on something solid. You know, yeah, it, it sure. didn't feel like it was unsafe. It didn't seem affected by turbulence as much as a smaller plane. And the Airbus A three hundred and eighty, it's got that feeling to it as well. I mean, the the main difference with the with the A three hundred and eighty is that that little bubble you were talking about on top of the seven four seven one hundred with three yeah. windows. Yeah. On the Airbus A three hundred and eighty, the two decks are both full length. Upstairs is first class and business class, the whole length of the plane. Wow. And yeah. downstairs with Emirates, they have, I think, 12 rows of premium economy, and then the rest of it is all economy as well. So it's a huge number of people traveling in comfort these days. It's not, 
it's not the right perception to think, well, there's a few people up the front who are paying through the nose to travel in comfort. Half the plane is dedicated to that. And the same with Air New Zealand's long-haul fleet too. Yeah, so on an A380, like you've just explained, you can basically have a 747 load of economy passengers, add some premium economy, and upstairs you've got the best business. You can sell every class at scale on this aircraft. Yes. Wow. Of course, they must make a bunch every flight if it's loaded up. If it's loaded up, it's a big plane. So, yeah. um, but actually, you know, out of New Zealand, it's very successful, and and I think it's successful out of all their all their other areas too. I mean, Emirates fly from Dubai to London. I think it's seven times a day. They fly three times to Heathrow, once to Stansted, twice to Gatwick. Uh, where's right. the you know? Boy, the, <laughs> what a transportation <laughs> machine that is. That's right. And they're, they're not all Airbus A380s, but I think uh, four out of seven are A380. Yeah. The rest of them are 777s, which don't have the premium economy. They just have economy in business and it's not quite as flash. But, yeah, they, they, they're filling up. You mentioned Delta. Has Delta mm. ever flown to Auckland before? I don't believe they have, actually. Yeah. Um, Delta have been flying to Australia. Uh, for years, and they have a daily flight from uh, from Sydney to Los Angeles, but they've never actually come here. We've been able to hook into Delta fares by by flying trans Qantas, Trans Tasman, then on from there. But nope, this is the first year, and so they've scheduled daily flights from the end of this month. The first flight is the thirtieth of October, and it flies Auckland, Los Angeles. So that's another routing to Europe, across America, the whole thing. Because Delta's huge, isn't it? It's a huge carrier. Yeah. They call them majors in the States, and Delta is a major. Yes. Yeah, I think they're headquartered in Atlanta. I've been to Atlanta Hartsfield Field Airport, I think it is. It's it's so big, mind-blowing. It, the scale is just – but those that traffic coming through on Delta, are they, are they taking that off other airlines, or are they a big enough system? to be able to generate all that traffic themselves? With airlines that come to New Zealand, it's undeniable that that the major factor is inbound tourism to New Zealand. Our small travelling population of long-haul travellers, although we travel a lot, we can't hope to fill that number of carriers. So it'll depend on whether they effectively market to U.S. citizens who want to come to New Zealand as a holiday destination. Right, because the dollar's pretty good. Our dollars. No, well, their dollar's buying our dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it it makes a good equation for them now. Okay. Okay, and for people considering travelling somewhere, going somewhere, I don't know, a bit different. I mean, there's the regulars, but um, at this time of the year, what are some of the destinations, maybe some that people don't think of, but whatever, you know, um, that uh, that – could come to mind. Bali's going pretty well, have to say. It's a good destination where things are cheap when you get there. A lot of people going there. We're doing a lot of the US. Hawaii um, is included in that. Yeah. And, you know, our dollar's not that great, but there are ways to save money when sh- once you get there. And, yeah, the USA will always be popular. I mean, now we must ha- we must have seven carriers going to the USA. Um American, Delta, United, Hawaiian, 
Qantas fly nonstop Auckland to New York now. Oh, yeah. They used to do that. Um, oh, they go to New York from Auckland. That's right. They used to go to LA, I know, direct from Auckland because they took that flight a few times. Yeah, and no, now they have a flight that goes Sydney, Auckland, New York nonstop. And New York is a fantastic place to go. I mean, mm. we all know quite a lot about New York. It's surprising when you first land there and you think you come across Grand Central Station, the Statue yeah. of Liberty, Central Park, have, have a coffee in Central Park. Yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, get on the get on the um, on the subway. You know, you you see Madison Square Gardens, the Yankee Stadium. Uh, we all know these things, and when you get to New York and you first see the Statue of Liberty, you just think, "Oh my God, I've been looking at pictures of this since I was a kid." Know the feeling, yeah, it's yeah, very familiar actually. And to drop directly into it. That's right. I mean, Ian is on and Qantas both going to New York nonstop now. And to, yeah, you get on and you get off in the Big Apple. Fantastic. And they must have smoothed out the operation because there was the, the there were initial problems with fuel on the way back, I think, anyway. Uh, I haven't heard of any of that happening, um, so they must have figured that out, do you think? Uh, seems to be a little better. Yeah, they are still having – they don't have the issue going northbound, but on occasion, if the wind's going in the wrong direction – um, they do still have the odd problem coming back where the flight will stop at Fiji on the way. Um, but yeah. generally speaking, I mean, Qantas don't seem to have that issue. No, I was just thinking that. And I was just thinking another thing, they have the Project Sunrise, don't they, Qantas, which will be the, I think, the direct flights to the UK, you know, without sort of too much of a penalty. They could deploy that into New Zealand, couldn't they? That would be incredibly competitive. Well, Condor started flying from Australia to the UK nonstop quite a while ago, but it out was of Perth. Actually, it yeah, was just yeah. Perth. Yeah, Project Sunrise. That's out of Sydney and Melbourne, I think. That's right. Which could be New Zealand. Well, it hasn't started yet, of course. Yeah, but it's a competitive weapon, and we pulled out of the UK. Was that a wise idea? Yes, probably. Okay, it was right. Yeah, I mean, it, Air New Zealand only fly halfway around the world now, and, and but they're very strong in this air, in this part of the world. It would be very hard to continue flying from Los Angeles to, to London if you're a carrier this far away. I mean, Air New Zealand years ago used to fly to Frankfurt as well as London. Yeah, I um, flew to, to Gatwick on a 747-200 of Air New Zealand's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it was a flagship thing, and... Of course, Auckland, New York is now NZ1 and NZ2. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because that's their flagship. And, and you know, they're definitely, it's a premium thing for NZ on that. Before we finish chatting, Tim, is there anything else that we should know? I guess the main one of the differences that's happened just this week is that the old cardboard arrival card's being replaced with an online version called the New Zealand Traveller Declaration. And that's now available to be done online. So you have to do that within 24 hours of arriving into New Zealand. Right. I think that currently, uh, when you when you touch down, there are people at the airport still handing out the cardboard ones in case you haven't managed to do it online or you've got some problem. But it's intended to speed up the arrival process, although I'm not quite sure if it will or not, because yeah. nowadays you, you actually have to show – you actually have to show your passport twice now. You used to arrive into New Zealand through the e-gate um, upstairs, or if you had some issue, you could go to a counter, and that's the only time you showed your passport. After you collected your bags, you were normally able to just join that queue, which at the moment is horrendous, and then you just showed your cardboard piece of paper and they just seemed to tick it with a green pen or a black pen and off you went through. 
But now the online form, of course, you're not carrying anything, so you have to flip out your passport and show it to them again. That's an extra step, which is definitely contributing to the current slowdown going through at the back end as well, on arrival back into the country. Okay, um, I take it why, there's Wi-Fi on a lot of the airliners now, is there? Because I'm just thinking, could you connect and do that online thing as you're travelling in the plane towards the destination? Yeah, well, it's that's a growing thing, but I would say probably only 30% of flights have that. The chances are you would do it. You can't do it until within 24 hours, because if you did it a week before and you said, no, I'm not carrying any food and blah, 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 but then, you know, two days before you depart London, you think, oh, I'll pick up some Christmas cake or something from Harrods. Uh, then it's all out the window, isn't it? So you have to do it within 24 hours. You can edit it. You can go back in and edit it. But um, how many people do or not? There's one supplementary question, which is quite good. It used to say on the cardboard one, are you bringing any food? Yes or no. Mm. On the online one, you can tick yes. And then it asks you a supplementary question. Is it lollies or confectionery? Which indicates a lot of people tick yes when it's just lollies, chocolate, confectionery, biscuits, whatever. So that's a really good question. And it, I'm sure that's intended to speed things up. Yeah, because well. that filters out something that otherwise they would think they had to look for. Yeah, filters out cheese or honey or whatever, you know. They don't, they're not, not worried about that. Yeah, okay. Hey, um, really interesting catching up, Tim. Um, uh, nice to have you on the program again. Let's do it again. Um, and we can um, talk about uh, the travel issues that are out there and what's hot, what's not, et cetera. It's always interests me and our listeners. So Tim Malone travel specialist oh how do people get in touch if they wanted to uh, get in touch with you tim best way is probably just to google my name and see see which business i own with my wife angela and uh, you know you'll find us there okay thanks for the chat tim we'll talk again thanks a lot paul see you rcr with paul brennan reality check radio